Acts chapter 17, because we're not old yet, so we're going to seek the Lord while he may be found. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34 is where we're at. This is one of the few sermons of the Apostle Paul. Uh, now you're going to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, Pastor. we got all kinds of stuff by the Apostle Paul. We do. We have 13 books of the New Testament that were written by the Apostle Paul. Most of those are letters, though. They're letters to churches, kind of dealing with issues, dealing with problems, uh, addressing certain things doctrinally. But this is one of those times where we actually have Paul gathering an audience, and we get to hear his sermon. I, don't, I think there was more to his sermon. Most of the time when you find in the book of Acts a sermon got so by Peter, some by Stephen. I really think there was probably more to those um, but, but, you know, Acts gives us, or Luke gives us a, a kind of a summary of, of what they, what they said. And so we've got an interesting one here to, uh, to the people of Athens by the apostle Paul. So I'm going to start reading in verse 16. You follow along in your Bible. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took, took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears." We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind. This is so important. Life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought, to think, ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Father, we acknowledge you today to be the true God. Uh, Lord, you're the only one worship of our, worthy of our worship. Uh, you're the only one that is worthy of our, our giving thanks to, of our uh, praise, of our following and obeying and yielding to. Uh, Lord, you're the only one whom our lives should be centered around. God, keep us from idolatry. Keep us from, from giving ourselves, giving our lives to things other than you. And I pray, Father, that you would show us, God, when we sin against you in that way. I ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit would teach us today. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Paul, Timothy, and Silas and the rest of the team are on their missionary journey. They're traveling about preaching the gospel. They were just in a city called Berea and uh, ran into trouble there. Paul got uh, somewhat attacked, and so he leaves, and he leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea and tells them to come to him as soon as they kind of finish their work there. And Paul goes on to a city called Athens. You've probably heard of Athens before, one of the most famous cities in the world, still a city today. Uh, at this time, it was one of the cultural, education, artistic meccas of the world, uh, a city of, of beautiful architecture and buildings and philosophy. And so Paul is in the midst of this city, and it says in verse 16, we'll just, just read a little bit here, says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. Now, if we just stop right there, just stop, don't read any further. His spirit was provoked within him. Many of you are going to say, man, I know exactly what Paul is talking about, okay? Because that word provoked, it means to be angry or infuriated, to be stirred up, irritated, upset, or distressed. Those are things that those words can mean. Now, some of you are like, man, me and Paul, we're like this, because I know what it is to have my spirit provoked within me, right? Some of you are going to say that. Some of you are going to say, I was at the DMV this week waiting in line, and my spirit was provoked within me, right? Some of you are going to say, you know what? We visited family this last weekend for Fourth of July, and I spent all day with my mother-in-law, and by the time we were done, my spirit was provoked within me, right? Others of you, you're going to say, man, I tell you what, I work with coworkers, and I know exactly what it is to have my spirit provoked within me, because by the end of the day, I am irritated, upset, angry, and infuriated on the inside, okay? So some of you are going to readily agree, you're going you're to identify, you're going to say, I know exactly Exactly what Paul is talking about here, but whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. What you have to understand is Paul is not angry at people, okay? Paul's not, Paul's not infuriated because someone's been rude to him or someone's inconvenienced him or someone's lazy or drops their responsibilities or, or uh, uh, he, he's not infuriated because of some personal insult. This is not a personal resentment against people, not at all. Paul's spirit is provoked because people are worshiping false gods, okay? People are centering their lives around something other than Jesus Christ, and that deeply bothers the Apostle Paul, okay? So many of you would say, man, I know what it is to be provoked in my spirit. I know what it is to be angry and infuriated and distressed and, and irritated and agitated. I know what that is to be inside. But some of you probably would say, I'm not sure that I know what it is to be deeply upset that other people are worshiping something that's not Jesus Christ. Now, part of the reason that that may be a little foreign to us is because actually in our culture, this is, this is one of the biggest deceptions of our culture. It's actually a virtue to be the kind of person that says, hey, 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 you worship whatever you want to worship. You, you worship in the way that you want to worship. You know, if you want to worship that stick over there, hey, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't do it, okay? And, and that's fine. You worship how you want to worship, and I'll worship how I want to worship. Okay? Isn't that the spirit of our day? That sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's what we hear on TV. That's what we hear in the university. That's what we hear in the schools is that we ought to be tolerant of the way that other people worship. And, and I totally agree that we should not be rude. We should never be inconsiderate. We should never be slanderous or mean-spirited. If you'll notice, Paul is provoked within him, but never in this, this sermon do you hear him taking cuts at people or jabs at people or, or running down people or mocking. I mean, that, it's not that kind of thing. But what he is, is he is deeply distressed that somebody is being worshipped other than Jesus Christ. 
Now, now why, why should we be deeply distressed? Why should that bother us? 1 Corinthians 10, 20 says something really interesting. It says, uh, I, I imply, this is Paul again, I imply that what pagans sacrifice uh, to, to, they offer to demons and not to God. Um, the Bible would say that anytime there's something worshiped other than Jesus Christ, uh, there's a demonic element to that. Now you'd say, well, hold on, pastor. I don't know anybody that has a picture of a demon in their house and they bow down and worship. I don't think Paul is saying that. I do think what Paul is saying is that it is the demonic and the satanic attack upon us that we get distracted from worshiping the true God and worship something other than God, that you wrap your life around something other than Jesus Christ. Now, still, some of you are like, well, I, Paul, Pastor, I just, I just don't see how that should really distress me. Well, let me give you some examples, okay? Let's just say that, uh, let's just say we've got a couple kids in the church, okay? Um, well, let me come back to that one. Let me, let me give you another one first. Let's just say that my wife, my wife uh, does something here at church, does a project, and she pours all of her creative energy into it, and she just does a fantastic job. Finishes the project. It's really good. It benefits and blesses everything, everybody. How, how would I feel if somebody from the church gets up, and they begin to talk about this project, and they begin to give the credit to somebody else? would would that bother me? Now, some of you say, well, it shouldn't, but would it? Would it? It would. Wouldn't that bother you? You know, and then let, let's, use, let's use an illustration with children because this, this happens sometimes. Let's say that in our memory marine program, our, our, our Wednesday memory program, let's say that there's a student that just memorized every, every one of, of the verses, okay? Let's say that um, uh, one of the Cason girls, they just got every, every verse right, just did it absolutely perfect. And they were the only one that did it, okay? And let's say we have our awards assembly, and I, I, I start talking about there's only one student here that, that did every, every uh, verse right, and they got them all memorized, and they did a great job. And I say, Jonathan Wales, come on up here. And Jonathan comes up here, and, and let's say you know that Jonathan didn't memorize any of them. You know, he just laid around like a lazy bum all, all semester, didn't do any of it. And I got him up here, and I'm saying, everybody, give, give Jonathan a hand. Give him a hand. Okay, let me ask you, would any of you be distressed enough in spirit to say, Pastor, hold on, hold on, Pastor. Let's stop the assembly because that's, that's not right. I think you, you got the wrong. Would it, there'd be people in this church that would do that, wouldn't it? There, there'd be people who would stand up and say, well, hold on, Pastor. There's something wrong. You're giving the credit to the wrong person. It's not Jonathan. It's somebody else. You've got it wrong. Okay, now, if we would stop a church service, and many of you would, and, and correct that mistake, then isn't it strange that it wouldn't bother us that every day there are people who give credit, who give allegiance, who give love and worship to something that is not Jesus Christ, something that did not do anything for them in reality. You see that? See, it ought to bother us that something is worshipped other than Jesus. Not only for the, the, the what is due, the credit that is due, but also simply, simply out, of, out, of, out of not wanting people to give their lives to something that's worthless. Not wanting them to, to, to give themselves to something that's not the best. You know, every year at Falls Creek, we have something happen that just deeply bothers me. I think I've mentioned it before, but it, it bothers me. And Brian always oh, does a great job just, just cooking up a storm for us there. And uh, every year he makes pulled pork, which is one of my favorite things. He, he smokes it in his smoker at home and just gets it all tender. And got barbecue sauce. We usually have like baked potatoes or scalloped potatoes, some kind of potato casserole with it. It's just a great meal. And, and I mean, he does just a great job. And every year at Falls Creek, we're going through the line there and getting our pulled pork and baked potato and just this fantastic meal at camp. And every year there's some student that comes up and he looks at it and he, he wrinkles up his nose. And he looks up and he says, do we have any of those corn dogs that we ate three days ago on Monday night that I could heat up, you know? 
And I mean, there's just something inside me that's, that's just wrong, you know? And, and, and I mean, there's something in me that says, hey, more for me. Let them eat the, you know, the junk if they want to, you know? But there's also something that makes me deeply sad that they'd rather have a corn dog than pulled pork, you know? I mean, there, there's just something wrong about that to me. C.S. Lewis had a great illustration in a book I read one time of, of children who were playing in a little mud puddle in the parking lot. You know, where the, the rainwater had filtered down through all the grease and the muck and the mire of the parking lot. And they're playing this little mud puddle. hundred yards away is the ocean. You know, and, and C.S. Lewis says that's the way we are sometimes. We're, we're, we're fiddling around in the mud puddle of, of life when we could have the ocean. And there's something deeply upset about that, upsetting about that when people worship something that is not the true God. When they go for help to something that cannot help them. When they call out to something that cannot respond. When they're worshiping something other than Jesus Christ. And that's what idolatry is. Let's talk about idolatry a little bit. First of all, it's, 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 idolatry is not the difference between being religious and not being religious. Notice in verse 22. It says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Okay, now what is Paul saying there? Is he saying that they're joined to Jesus Christ? No. Is he saying that they're born again? No. Is he saying that they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're forgiven of their sins and they're, they're, their home is going to be heaven? He's not saying that at all. He's just saying they're religious people. And, and we've got to get away from, from, from categorizing people into two categories, religious and non religious. Have you ever been called religious? I don't like to be called religious, actually. I mean, I've had people say, well, you're just really religious. And I'm like, well, hold on. I'm a lot more than that, okay? Because there's a lot of people that are really religious, all right? You, you, you go to certain parts in Oklahoma City, or, or you go to, uh, especially the mountains. It seems like the mountains have a bunch of towns like this. They're really religious towns. I mean, you walk down the main street, and you got one shop here that's got dream catchers, and, and prayer beads, and, and uh, uh, ancient Indian smoking pipes and, you know, all, I mean, all kinds of religious stuff, right? And then you go to the next store and they've got little idols and they've got merry bobbleheads and they've got, you know, all kinds of, of trinkets and, and religious artifacts, okay? Okay, you can, you can have all of that. There are people who talk about God a lot and they think about God a lot and they think about Buddha and they think about Confucius and they read all kinds of stuff and they, they have a cross and they got a, a tattoo of Mary on their leg and they got, you know, all kinds of, listen, that doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't make you right with God. Being religious is something different than having a personal faith connection to Jesus Christ. In fact, here's what I would tell you. I would say that everybody is religious about something. And I would tell you that because here's what I believe. I believe everybody all the time, every day of the week is worshiping. Now you're saying, well, pastor, we only come here one day a week or two days a week at the most, or maybe three, you know, if we come to man up or something. But, but, but here's what I'm telling you. What we're doing right now is called corporate worship, okay? Now what it is is we all come together because we're pretty like-minded, and, and, and we lift our voices together to the Lord, and we, we sing praise to His name, and we love on one another in His name, and we hear the Word of God, we hear His truth together. That's corporate worship, okay? But here's the reality. All week long, you are worshiping, okay? Because you know why? Because worship is simply the act of, of treasuring, valuing, loving, pursuing, seeking something, okay? Now, when we worship, what we're doing is we're pouring out our time, our energy, our money, and our emotions for something. And let me tell you, everybody is worshiping something. 
Okay, there's not anybody alive who's not pouring out their time or their emotions or their energy or their, their value. They're, 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 not, they're not treasuring anything. There's nobody that, that, that that's the case for. You're going to say, well, hold on, Pastor. I know a guy. All he does is sit in his recliner and watch game shows and soap operas all day long, every day. Hey, that guy's worshiping. He is. You know what he's worshiping? He's worshiping the God of lazy boy, all right? He's worshiping the God of, of relaxation. You're laughing. That's what he's worshiping. That's what he treasures. That's what he values. That's what he spends his energy on. That's what he spends his time on, okay? Everybody's worshiping something. The question is, what are you worshiping? Now, what's true worship? True worship is when you center your life around Jesus Christ. That's true worship, okay? True worship is when you center your life around Jesus Christ. Let me add something here. As he is revealed in the scriptures. Now, now why do I say as he is revealed in the scriptures? Well, the first commandment, if, you, if you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments, the first one is, is that you shall have no other God than me, okay? So God says, don't worship anything else other than me. You know what the second one is? The second one is, have no graven image, okay? In other words, don't, don't, don't say, okay, I worship the true God, and here's what he looks like. He looks like a buffalo with a tiger, you know, paw or whatever. Okay? Don't, don't make it God. You know why you don't do that? Because there's nothing you could make that could adequately describe God. Okay? And so why I want to add that is because there's a lot of people who say, I worship Jesus Christ, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Let me give you two examples. I hear these all the time, these two. Here's the first one. My Jesus doesn't care if I go to church. And whenever people tell me that, I scratch my head and I say, are you sure you're not talking about Jesus down the road? You know, I don't think you're talking about Jesus because Jesus is the one who birthed the church. Jesus is the one who says his bride is the church. Jesus is the one that said, if you don't love the church, you don't love him. Okay, so, so I, can't, I can't imagine that your Jesus doesn't care about the church. I think your Jesus is not the real Jesus, okay? Here's the second one I hear all the time. My Jesus would never send anybody to hell. And again, who is that? You know, I, I, and I ask people that. Whenever they tell me that, I, I say, well, sir, ma'am, I, I respectfully just ask. I don't, I'm not sure who you're talking about. You know, because you're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. You're talking about another Jesus. You're talking about, you know, I don't know, some guy in New Mexico named Jesus. I, but you're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the Bible is the one who describes for us the judgment that is to come and the hell that we should avoid. He is, he is the one who has revealed to us what hell is and why we should avoid it. And so it's very important when we think about worship that you worship the God of the Bible, the God who is revealed to us in the Scripture. Don't make up your own God. That, that, that's the point of that. Don't say, well, I'm going to worship this God, and, and here's what he's like. You know, in Sunday school, you get a color Jesus. Have you ever, you ever got to do that? If you went to Sunday school, you get to, you know, a lot of times you get your picture of Jesus, and you get to color him however you want, you know? And if you've ever seen some of the little boys in our church, you know, some of the little girls in our church, Jesus got a flower in his hair, and he's got a little basket, you know, a picnic lunch, you know. Some of the boys in our church, Jesus has a, a machete and an M16, you know, and, and that's okay, that's fine, you know, I mean, I, I, they're, they're just kids. But here's the deal, you can't keep doing that in life. You can't keep saying, well, this is my Jesus, and I'm going to make him however I want him to be, and he's going to do whatever I tell him to do. Okay, you can't, you can't do that. Worship means you, you center your life around the God of the Bible as revealed to us in the Scripture. What's Jesus like? Read your Bible. What does he love? It's right here. 
What, what, what does he hate? It's right here. Um, what's he think about us? It's in here. What, what's he promised? It's in here. What's he going to do? It's in here. How did he live? It's in here. It's right here. You want to know the Jesus of the Bible? It's right here. It's, it's, it's in the scriptures. And so true worship is to center your life around the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, thanking him for blessings, praying to him for what you need. Okay, that part of worship is coming to God and saying, God, you have what I need. And I'm coming to you. I'm not coming over here. I'm not coming to this thing. I'm not coming to that thing. I'm coming to you. I'm relentlessly coming to you. I am trusting you to be my treasure, to be everything that I am. And and I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. It's hard for me to swallow someone who says, I worship Jesus, but I don't listen to him. I worship Jesus, but I don't follow him. I worship Jesus, but I don't obey him. I worship Jesus, but he says this, but I don't do that. Okay, that, that's hard to swallow that you're actually centering your life around Jesus if you do not follow him. So worship, true worship, is, is to center your life around the God of the scriptures, thanking him, praying to him, depending on him, following him, obeying him, delighting him, trusting in him as your treasure. Now we do that together. Right now we're doing that. But here's the real test. Do you worship him all week long? Now idolatry, idolatry is, is doing the same thing except with something other than Jesus, okay? So idolatry is centering your life around something other than the Jesus of the Bible. Notice in verse 18, it says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. So Paul's talking to some folks here who, 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 don't, who don't center their life around Jesus. Now you're saying, what is an Epicurean, all right? Anybody ever met an Epicurean, okay? Uh, listen, you know, they, 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 they were a big, big kind of religion back in Paul's day. But let me read you a description that I found in my study of the Epicureans. See if you, you recognize these folks. Okay, ready? The Epicureans worship pleasure and geared their entire life around the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. They loved material things and didn't give any thought to the afterlife. Hello, America, huh? That doesn't sound very strange, does it? Those guys were wearing red, white, and blue before anybody else was. I'll guarantee you that. That's us. I mean, that's our culture. Hopefully it's not us. But, I mean, we're immersed in that, aren't we? I mean, I mean that's a great description of, of people today. So what, what could be an idol in your life? Well, man, anything. Let's start with self. You know, it's real easy to center your entire life around you. You know, to where you are what you worship. You say, well, I would never do that, Pastor. I would never bow down to myself. I would never sing songs, you know. Jason is so great. You know, I mean, you know, some of you might do that. I mean, you say, I would never do that. But listen, listen, what is worship? Worship is what you give your time, your attention, your mind, your heart, your will toward. And there are folks who worship themselves. Their entire life is wrapped around me, thinking about me, what I deserve, how I ought to be exalted, how I ought to move up, how I've been, been let down. For many folks, self-pity is an act of worship. Their, their lives are spent feeling sorry for themselves, thinking only of themselves, thinking about how they've been hurt and how, they, how they've been wronged and how they haven't got what they're do and what they deserve and looking to satisfy themselves and trusting only in their own opinion. Man, I talked to somebody the other day. He was sold out on his opinion. Was it what the Bible says this? He didn't care about that. But other people said this. He didn't care about I mean, his rule in life is what I think is right. That is somebody who has made an idol of themselves. They are what they depend on. They are what they worship. They are what they treasure. 
They're self-worshippers. And that's idolatry. How about money? Man, a life where a person is constantly thinking about and planning with and dreaming of money, how to get more. A life, we talked about this in Man Up on Wednesday, a life where you are so deceived into thinking that money is the answer to your problems. I heard a quote, someone quote, this is what they said. They said, I don't have a problem that money couldn't solve. You know what that person is doing? They are centering their life around the wrong thing. In their mind, if they just had more money, their problems would be gone. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's nothing wrong with money. We talked about this Wednesday. Nothing wrong with money at all. It's not a God, though. It's a commodity. It's a currency. It's what you go buy groceries with and send missionaries with and and help the poor with. It's not a God. It's not the answer to your life. It's not what's going to gratify and satisfy and fulfill you. It's not what's going to identify you. It's not what's going to keep you from harm. To worship money is idolatry. Tim Keller says this. He says, idolatry is making something else more central to your significance, your purpose, and your happiness than your relationship with God. And friends, there is nothing else in this world that is to be at the center of your life other than Jesus Christ. Nothing should be your greatest treasure. Nothing should be your greatest pursuit other than Jesus Christ. And anytime you put something else in that position, things begin to go badly. It goes badly for everybody. Don't don't make anybody else a God in your life. We do that sometimes. Don't make your spouse a God. You know, I talk to couples, and and here's what they tell me. Man, I tell you what, all my problems are going to be over as soon as I get married. You know, and I, I just think to myself, have you ever talked to anybody that was married? Do you know anybody that's married? Do you know what marriage is? You know, are you, hello. You know what they say, man, and what they're saying is, this person's going to satisfy all my needs. And this person, they're, they're going to make me whole. And this person, they're, they're, they're going to they're they're care for me and they're going to they're solve my problems. And, and, and I, anytime I feel bad about myself, they're going to make it right. Man, that's a dangerous thing to do. To put, first of all, don't put that on anybody else. Nobody can live up to that. No, nobody can fix you. Only Jesus can fix you. Don't, don't, don't look to somebody else thinking they're going to fix you. Don't look to somebody else thinking they're going to solve all your issues. Don't look to somebody else thinking they're always going to make you feel whole on the inside. Only Jesus can do that. Don't make a God of somebody else. I'll tell you where this happens most frequently. It happens with children. Heard this yesterday. Paul went to Mars Hill when he preached his sermon. That's the Areopagus. is known as Mars Hill. It was the place of philosophy and the place of uh, spiritual, intellectual discussion. Woodward does not have a Mars Hill. It has a McDonald's, okay? <laughs> McDonald's is the, is the height of, uh, of, of, of social and intellectual discussion in, in America. And so I was at McDonald's yesterday, and, and I had several discussions, and people just kept coming by, and we, we had some long discussions with some folks, my wife and I did. And, and one person said this. They said, this quote, we, we, are, we are doing everything for our kids you know, we're just making this whole, whole thing about our kids. That, that sounds right, sort of, doesn't it? I mean, in America, you, you know, you're tempted to go, yeah, make it all about everything about the kids. And we have, we have to do all for the kids. And, but then you mean open your Bible and you're like, whoa, no, no. It's not all about the kids. It's all about Jesus. And, and I need to be all about Jesus and I need to pull Hannah and Addie and Haddon and Haven and Avery, I need to pull them in. Hey, guys, let's be all about Jesus together. That's a family. That's a family. But you see, if, 
if you make your life all about your kids, first of all, you're going to be you're going to be extremely disillusioned later in life. Because you know what's going to happen? A couple things are going to happen. Number one, they're going to let you down. You know why? Because they're sinners just like you. You gave it to them, actually. Okay? So they're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. And, and so your God's going to disappoint you. You know what else is going to happen? Eventually, for some of you, it's going to be about age 33. They're going to look at you and say, Mom, Dad, it's time for me to move out. We pray it happens before then. <laughs> they're going to leave. You know what's going to happen? Your God's going to walk out the door. And they're going to move across the country. And you're going to look over at this guy and say, now who are you again? Because our lives have been centered around this. Don't make anything else your God. I'm not saying don't make, make your kids a priority. I'm not saying don't spend. I, you know I'm not saying that. But, I, but, I, but there's a difference between spending time with your kids and loving your kids and making them something they shouldn't be in your life. Man, don't do that to them, by the way. Again, it's not good to make anybody a God. You know what's going to happen if you, you raise up kids and it's all about them all the time? You know what's going to happen? That, they're going to get married someday. They're going to be standing up here and I'm going to have my Bible. And they're going to say, I do. And they're going to say, I do. And that's going to be a disaster. You know why? Because they, they've been taught by you that the universe revolves around you and it's all about you and we're going we're gonna to put all of our life and everybody's going to drop everything for you. And they, they walk into marriage thinking, yeah, she's going to do that for me. And she walks in and saying, he's going to do that for me. And two weeks into the marriage, there's some deep disillusionment. Hold on, you know. I thought you were going to be all about me. Everybody else has been all about me all my life. Don't make anybody a God. Don't curse them like that. We have one God and his name is Jesus. Man, you make money your God, you know what's going to happen? Again, there's nothing wrong with money. But when you make it a God, then you have this ever-increasing appetite for something that you can't ever fill yourself up with. You can't make enough to solve all your problems. You can't make enough to fill up your heart. And you can't make enough to satisfy your soul. Folks, idolatry is sin. Not only is it sin, but it's the root of a lot of other sins. You know, you, you take, just pick, pick a couple sins here. Let's, let's, take, let's take lust, okay? Let's say you got a guy and he's addicted to pornography. By the way, man up, two more weeks, this Wednesday, next Wednesday, okay? I have been so pleased with, with just how that's been going. Uh, we've had at least 35 guys every, every Wednesday just coming to, and mainly the same 35. I mean, people have really stuck with it. Just what does it mean to be a biblical man? However, I'm telling, I told Winnie, we need to double all of our snacks this week because this week, this Wednesday, is a man in sex. And I'm, I'm anticipating at least 80 guys are going to show. Okay? For real. Okay? But let's say you got a guy, and uh, let's say he's addicted to pornography. So what do, you, what do you tell that guy? Well, you can tell him some practical stuff. Things like, man, you need to get a filter to your computer. There's some great software that's going to, you know, email. Every, everywhere you go, it's going to email it to, to me or your Christian buddy or your Christian friend, your accountability partner. There's some great stuff, some filters. But you, you know what that guy really needs to hear? Don't make sex a God. Because the heart of that is idolatry. The heart of that is looking to something you shouldn't look to to satisfy you, to comfort you, to make you okay, to heal you. Folks, it's, it's the root of sin. Idolatry is the root of sin. Here's, here's one you may not have thought of. Let's say you've got, let's say you've got a lady, and she, just, she can't forgive. 
I've been hurt, and I'm going to hold a grudge, and I'm never letting go of this. You know what she has inadvertently done? She has made pain. She has made the offense. She's made what this, whatever someone did to her a God in her life. Again, what's a God? A God is what you give your time, your attention, your energy, your emotions, your, 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 your mental time to. And, and if your life is revolved around this thing that was done to you, this pain, you, you, you're making it something that you shouldn't make it. Who, who, who's your God? Your God is Jesus. How, how should you identify yourself? You should not identify yourself as, I'm the person that was hurt. I'm the person that, that has this pain. I'm the person that, that is bitter. I'm the person that's, no. Who are you? You're born again. You're a child of the King. That's how you ought to identify yourself. You, 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 you get your identity from Jesus, not from what's done to you. There's freedom in that, friends. And saying my life's not going to revolve around anything, anything but Jesus. My life is going to center around him and him alone. Folks, the most important issue in your life is this. What are you worshiping? Well, Paul is provoked in spirit. Uh, Why? Because these folks are worshiping a false god. Verse 23, he says, I passed along and observed the object of your worship. I found an altar with this ascription to the unknown God. So Paul, Paul finds a, an altar to, to the unknown God. And he says, hey, you guys know that you don't know about a God. And let me tell you about the God that you don't know. And so Paul begins to tell them about the true God. What's he say? First of all, he says in verse 24, the true God is a creator God. Verse 24 says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we have, what we see, what we experience around us, my friends, is not some cosmological accident. What we have around us is not an, a spill on aisle nine that happened to turn into a functional, fantastic universe. What we have what we see, what we, what we experience around us is a creation of the creator God. Nothing would exist except from his hand. Not only is God creator, but Paul also tells us in verse 24 that he is, he is sovereign over all things. Verse 24 says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. Notice in verse 26, it says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Paul says, not only do we worship a creator God who created everything that exists, who's the only one who created, but we worship a God who is sovereign over all things. Why are there people in Mexico? God put them there. Why are there people in Canada? God put them there. Why are there people in Australia? Because they were prisoners. No, because God sent them there. I mean, he's sovereign over all things, right? Everything. I mean, I know he used the events of man, but, but, but Paul is making very clear, God is ruler over everything. And not only is he ruler over everything, but he's a God who doesn't need anything from us. Now, be careful how you think of that, but look in verse 25. It says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. You know why that's significant? That's significant because some people feel like they can treat God like a needy relative. You know, you have any needy relatives? And here's how you treat them. You, you reluctantly go to their house, you know, and you visit with them. Why? So you can do your time and be done with them for a while, okay? That's the way people treat God. People treat God like, well, you know, I mean, I went to church three Sundays in a row. I deserve four off, you know. I mean, or I, I served in vacation Bible school, so I, need, I ought to be able to take a God. ought to be happy for a while. Let me, let me make this real clear. You never are in a position 
to think that God owes you anything. Why? Because he's creator. He's sustainer. He's ruler. He's sovereign. All that you have, you have from him. Notice what Paul says here. Man, I think this is one of the most important things that he says. Look in verse 25. He says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Okay, let me back that up with some other scriptures. Romans eleven thirty six. From him and through him and to him are all things. First Timothy six seventeen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, listen, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. James 1 17 says, Every good gift. Let me read that again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. What is the Bible very clear in saying to us? Everything that is good in your life, everything that is pleasing, everything that is satisfying, everything that you've enjoyed, everything from your physical body to your health, to your intellect, to your abilities, to your resources, to your riches, to where you live, to your country, to your friendships, to to your salvation, to your heavenly home. Everything that is good in your life has come from one place and one place only, and that is God. Paul is very clear about that. And so, so just, just imagine for a second how, how disrespectful it is if we understand that to go to other places to get what we need. Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to use two companies, okay? Walmart and Target, okay? I just picked them because they're big companies. There's nothing personally... Uh, against either one of these, okay? But I'm going to use Walmart as the good guy because we have a lot of people that are employed by Walmart in our church, all right? So I don't want to offend anybody needlessly. I don't know anybody here that's employed by Target. But if you have Target stock, please know that this is just an illustration, okay? But let's just say that everything good in my life has come from Walmart, okay? Let's just say that, that I bought a bunch of stuff and everything that's ever worked, everything that's ever been, been, been functional, everything that's ever been good for my family has come from Walmart. And let's just say that everything bad in my life that I've ever Ever bots come from Target, you know, and it, it promised me good things, and the package was real attractive, and the advertising was clever, but it turned out not to work. It turned, I took it out of the box, and it broke. I took it out of the box, and it didn't do what it was supposed to do, so everything good came from Walmart, and everything bad came from Target. How would you feel about me if I went around singing the praises of Target? You know, if I, if I went around saying, man, Target is the place to shop. Target is the best place. And you knew everything good in my life had come from Walmart, you know. But I'm singing the praises of Target. And when I talk about our vacation, I say, yeah, we're going on vacation. We're going to go to Colorado. But before we go to Colorado, we're swinging through Garden City. Go to Target, you know. We're going to spend half a day in Target because Target's the place to be. What if I did that? How silly would that be? Well, I bought some real junk from Walmart, by the way. So, that, that, you know, it's an illustration that breaks down. But the illustration holds true with God. Listen, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. James 1, 17, every good gift. Okay, if, if that's true, if this is not a lie, then everything truly good in my life has come from God. So aren't I a fool to go somewhere else looking to satisfy my soul? That's foolish, isn't it? That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is saying, okay, everything good came from God, came from Jesus. Satisfaction is Jesus. Life's in Jesus. But I'm, I'm going to go over here 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to devote my time and my energy and my resources and my, my schedule and my thinking and my emotions and, and my planning to this. This is where every good gift comes from, though. That's what idolatry is. If you understand that God is creator, he's sustainer, he's governor, he's ruler, every good gift comes from him, he's giver. Here's what Paul says, verse 27, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. That should cause you to seek God. Folks, it's a sin to worship other things. And God's been patient. Verse 30, this is what it says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. What does that mean? That means we've all been idolaters. We've all rejected God. That's what Romans 1 tells us. We've all said, okay, God, I'm not interested in you. I'm, I'm going to go over here. I'm, I'm going I'm to try this for a while. I'm going to ignore you, give my life to something else. And God's been patient. But notice what verse 30 says. The times of ignorance got overlooked. But now, now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. That, that's a little uh, heavy to me. The day's already fixed. You know, you know what we'd like to think? Oh, judgment's just out there. Just, just way out there, you know? Just, just, just sometime. And God keeps changing it. No. It's fixed. There's a countdown. I, I wish we had it. Wouldn't it be cool? Put it up on the screen. Number of days. Just, just rolling down. Minutes, seconds. Counting down. It's running right now. We're closer to judgment now than we were when I started this sermon. It's fixed. When God pulls out his iPhone, it's got a reminder every day. Ding, judgment day. Okay, maybe you didn't have an iPhone, but, but you get it? It's fixed. It's coming. And all that's going to matter is what did you worship? Three different type of people that hear this. A sermon. Here they are. Ready? Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. There's the first type. Some mocked. Some said, center your life around Jesus. Judgment's coming. Yeah, right. Second type. Others said, we will hear you again about this. There's a lot of those folks. They're the later folks. You ever know them? Yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is true, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'll get around to this later. Now, I, I, okay, I, I'll deal with this later. Yeah, there's time. We'll hear you again. We're not doing anything now. We're not, we're not going to put our faith now. We're later. Third group. But some men, verse 34, some men joined him and believed. There's those three groups today at Lincoln. They were there in the 830 service. They were there in the 945. And they're right here in the 11. You know how I know? Because those are the only three responses. <laughs> you can either say, I don't believe this stuff. It's goofy. Or you can say, yeah, it might be true, but I'm not going to deal with it now, later. Or you could say, I believe. Which group are you in? You're in one of them. Which one is it? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are creator and that you are sustainer. 
God, that you, you, you're a ruler. And God, that you're the giver of every good gift. And God, I pray that, that we would worship you. God, that we would give ourselves wholeheartedly, center our life around you and you alone. God, because you're the only thing that will satisfy. Help us, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those today that, that will say that what I've just said is stupid, is silly. God, I pray that you just soften their hearts. I pray for those who, who tell themselves the lie that they've got later, that later. Uh, Lord, I just think about what we know about Paul. He leaves Athens right after this. For many, there was no later, that that was their chance. God, I pray for those who today will, will believe and who will begin to center their life around you. God, give them power, give them grace, give them strength to do that, to turn from sin and embrace Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.